Brewers baseball fans, welcome to episode 62, the Josh Butler edition of the View from Bernie's Chalet podcast. in Germantown, Wisconsin. I am your host, J.D. Joining me, my co-host, as usual, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it's Alex, and in Whitewater, Wisconsin, it's Brad. What's going on, guys? Uh, Just enjoying some good Brewers baseball, actually. About freaking time. I just got back from vacation, and now they're starting to do well, so... Well, you should leave again. (laughs) I'd say go back to Vegas. but I got back and they started doing well. Because right, while I was right. gone was the St. Louis series. Then I got back Monday, and since Monday they're undefeated. So. Well, then how dare you leave Wisconsin? <laughs> Maybe leaving and coming back was what I needed. They're like, no, we need to bring Brad back. What if he's gone forever, guys? This <laughs> would be is, horrible. <laughs> it is quite nice to have a four-game winning streak. Something that I think. For a while, it looked like it might never happen this year because they would never score enough runs or they would just uh, have poor pitching performances. But they salvaged uh, that last game of the St. Louis series in extra innings thanks to Ryan Braun and Jonathan Lucroy's home run swings. And uh, now coming off a three-game sweep against the uh, defending world champions. Uh, pretty nice, especially today. They uh, three two-run home runs, and uh, Gallardo put in a good pitching performance, and the bullpen uh, did their job for once. Yeah, I mean, two good pitching performances, too, back-to-back, with Loesch and his uh, five innings of no-hit baseball, four innings of perfect game, and there were idiots behind me who were like, oh, they're like 17-year-old kids, and like, oh, look, he's throwing a perfect game, and I wanted to punch him. And then right after that, he walked out, and then, like, the inning ended, and they're like, ah, he's still got the no-hitter. And then I wanted to punch him again because that was the inning. Loeschlin gave up three runs. I was like, I'll kill you. I will kill you. Yeah, that did suck because he was cruising. But still, uh, it was a really good outing only to give up three runs in, was it six or seven? It was uh, seven. Seven. Yeah, went seven. Yeah. And then, I mean, you only had to use two bullpen pitchers after a day when they had to use a lot of bullpen pitchers. I will say that Loesch. Loesch has, I mean, granted, it's only three starts, but he's definitely exceeded my expectations. I just, I still don't know if it was the greatest move to do based on the team overall and giving up the draft pick, blah, blah, blah. But he's clearly so far living up to what they're paying him, at least for well, now. And, I, and so. I think that start against the Giants is more of what we're, we should expect going forward because he's going to give up hits and he's going to give up ground balls and we just need to have the defense behind that or else it's what's going to happen is that that fifth or sixth inning uh that happened the other day is a lot of those are going to squeak by everybody because they just are out of position or they can't get to them yeah and a few of those are really hard hit balls too. oh yeah no but uh i mean if i think those first five innings was the the Kyle Loesch, we all hope, not discluding that they're perfect. I just mean that fast pace, lots of ground balls. I think that's what we hope out of Kyle Loesch. But I, 
I mean, he's definitely made everyone happy so far this season, I think. And how crazy was it that uh, to end that game yesterday, you had Blake Lolly driving in Josh Prince. Who would have thought that would happen when the season started? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we're only two weeks in the season, so. Yeah. And I mean, basically, it's because of the injuries and because of the injuries that kind of brings us into our first topic on episode 62. And that's kind of lineup construction and the cleanup spots um, because of the injury to Aramis Ramirez. And of course, Corey Hart being injured from the start of the season. Uh, there's kind of without a cleanup hitter right now. Um, Ricky Weeks has been getting the majority of the at-bats in that spot, but he has done a less than adequate job, I would say an inadequate job in that position. Um, and it just seems that he struggles to hit anywhere outside of the leadoff spot or two-hole in this lineup when they've had him fifth. He has not done a very good job. He's not doing a job at fourth right now. Um, personally, I'd like to see Lucroy bat in the cleanup spot until Ramirez and Hart are back. And I think just when you look at lineup construction overall, it, you know, it's all about having a cluster of hitters, preferably at the top of the order, uh, going down to your four or five holes. You want to have like four or five guys clustered together in a row that are your best hitters, guys that get on base, get a lot of hits so you can score more runs. And right now, you know, Aoki's doing a nice job. Segura obviously has been fantastic. And then Braun, although he's off to a slower start than he's used to, he's Ryan Braun, he'll be fine. So it's like you've got that cluster of three, but then you got Weeks, who's not doing much of anything. And then you go to five, and Luke Croy is starting to hit. And then you go down to uh, six, where they've been having um, Gonzalez, and he has not been hitting. Now, Gomez is starting to hit in the seventh spot, and Uni Betancourt has been tremendous in the eighth hole all of a sudden. Don't but don't like, give him praise, all right? No, no, I'm just saying he's hit, <laughs> he's hit really well in the, this series. He hit really well in the Giants series. So, but I'm, I'm not saying move him up. Keep him there. If he's going to hit well eighth, you know, leave him there. But I'm just saying you want to have that cluster at the top, and right now Ricky Weeks is breaking up the cluster. And then, you know, Alex Gonzalez in between Luke, uh, Lucroy and Gomez is breaking up the cluster, and that's not good. So I don't know what you guys think about the cleanup spot and clusters, but that's that's my two cents. Um, out of all the options, I would actually, I think uh, Weeks is a guy who we all thought Ryan Braun was in a hitter that really takes advantage of good protection. I mean, clearly Ryan Braun doesn't need, need it because Ricky Weeks is giving him no protection in the four hole right now. And he, if you moved Weeks up to third with how Aoki and Seguro have been getting on, I think that's probably the best situation for him because then he gets a little bit better pitches to hit as they're trying to get past weeks to Braun. Sure, you might lose in a bet here or there to Braun in the time Ramirez is gone, but he'll be back soon enough. And then I'd like to see Lucroy batting fifth. Um, I just think that Weeks needs a strong hitter behind him because he needs to see that extra fastball or two. He'll get a game. I think that helps him a lot, uh, especially because he does not like to slow down his bat a lot. So when you're using off-speed stuff, he's going to swing and miss a lot. Um, and then, too, if they're th wasting pitches on him, he does have a good eye, so he can get on base. Uh, he only has a little bit of a sample size at third. Uh, he's only started 10 games there and in 45 plate appearances. He has three homers and eight RBI, which is good for a very limited appearance, and he hit 302 in that time. And I think that's 
a product of, again, having a solid hitter behind him and having someone who's going to force the pitcher to throw a lot of fastballs so they can get through weeks or try and burn through weeks. And he's definitely not a guy to be ignored when he's actually hitting. Um, then again, I mean, if he continues hitting like this, then you, your third hole is a guy who's hitting 200, which is, of course, horrible and something a lot of people would not want to see. But, I mean, there's no harm in giving that a go for a short time. Again, I mean, re- at least this combination has been winning games. So in the long haul, why why change it at all? Um, wait, wait, one, one second. So you want to move Weeks to third and then Braun down to fourth? Yes, only Thanks. because, like, I, I mean, I know the possibilities that you run into there of not only losing an at-bat or, or getting a less the possibility less at bats from Braun, but then also right. having re- weeks possibly close out an inning or the opening inning right away. I just think he's someone who, when he's protected, when he has a good person hitting behind him, he's more likely to do better. I mean, we this is the Ricky Weeks that should normally gets on uh, base at around 350 to 400. So if you can get someone behind him protecting him and he's able to get good pitches to hit, or maybe get pitched around, you're still going to have someone on base for Ryan Braun. Um, then again, like I said, or like I was getting into, if you're in the long run, this is working. Why change it? I mean, Weeks has not been getting all the hits, but he has been getting some timely hits as of late in the last three or four games. Um, and Ramirez will be back soon. So it's not like it's any of this is long-term anyways. But I think you're losing – if you're willing to have him in a productive area of the lineup, you're losing just as much by having him in the four-hole as you are having him in the three-hole. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Jason. I'd like to see Lucroy there um, just because I, I like what, what he does at the plate a lot better than any of the other options. Um, and that's really the only reason. Uh, I like his approach a lot better. I think, you know, he's not going to strike out as much as the other options are. I don't know why they're even considering putting Betancourt there just because he's hitting kind of well right now. I mean, that's just a bad move altogether. Well, did someone actually say that they're considering that, putting that was they, they mentioned that like during the I, I heard Brian Anderson. Yeah, Bill Schroeder. I think I don't know. Well, yeah, I think, I think they're, they're just mixing around about it. But, but still, like I just cringed when I heard that. I was like, yeah, no, that's that shouldn't happen uh, um, right. in anybody's world. Um, but. I just, you know, like I said, the, the other guys, I don't, I don't see any reason to to mess with the rest of the lineup that much, um, especially where, you know, the other guys that are hitting well are hitting well, I think, because of where they're hitting in the lineup. So I think Lucroy is really going to be the best option going forward until Ramirez comes back to be hitting in that four spot. I don't want to, I don't think Braun should move out of three. That's just kind of ridiculous in my opinion, but. Um, I just, I just think, you know, like I said, Lucroy is kind of the man to put there right now because we really don't have anybody else that we can depend on to give us solid at bats uh, every time he gets up there. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Alex, his approach is the best for that position for now. I think he puts the ball in play a lot more, doesn't strike out much, goes the other way. I know he's not your prototypical cleanup type hitter, but I think he's the best option right now. Um, obviously, when Ramirez and Hart come back, I mean, that cluster gets a hell of a lot better, especially if Weeks starts hitting. You go back to Aoki, Weeks, Braun, Ramirez, Hart, 
Lucroy, Gomez, Segura. I mean, that's that's pretty that's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, if they might they might keep Segura in the two spot. I don't know where they're gonna bat weeks then. I you know like when they get all these guys healthy, if Segura continues to hit the way he's hit, and you know Hart and Ramirez kind of pick up and do what they normally do, and you know Gomez is really starting to hit well, and then if Weeks figures it out, I mean, shit. That's going to be a hell of a one through eight. (laughs) Not bad. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, Ramirez is still about two weeks away, they said. And, you know, Hart now isn't going to come back until the very end of May, damn near start of June. So, you know, we don't really get to uh, reap the benefits of that possible cluster of one through eight um, until then. So, yeah. Now, I'd like to add that the only reason I've went with – Ricky Weeks in the third hole is because I think he's a very important bat that uh, and he is someone where if you don't have him in the right place like you addressed earlier on Jason he's going to struggle and it seems anytime you have him anywhere below five or anywhere below four really or apparently anywhere before three with how he's doing four in four he struggles so I don't know I think it's just the only way to possibly get if you're trying to get production out of Ricky which I think everyone wants because when Ricky's productive, he can hurt you in many different ways. That's the way to go. But, I mean, if you wanted to play it safe and just go with the hot hand, I mean, then you guys are probably have the best option in moving Lucroy up because now he's starting to hit, he's starting to get better, and he does have a solid approach that's not going to burn you in the fourth hole. And granted, also, Ryan Braun, I believe, career is horrible in the four hole. Yeah, he hits 228 in the four hole. The, the short while that happened. Yeah, they they tried that out for a little bit. Batting Prince third, Braun fourth. It didn't it didn't really work out that well. And um, I think he's I a mean, better hitter than he was then, because oh, uh, yeah. that was he's, pretty early in his career. Two thousand. It wasn't his rookie. I want to yeah, say two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. Might have been two thousand nine when. Well, Yost might have tried it in 08, and then I think Maka tried it again in 09. It might have been both years. For yeah, a... I think Yost tried it in the beginning of the season in 08, and then Prince and uh, Braun went up to him and said no. And yeah. then I think Maka did the same thing, and then they went, "No, we already did this. We hate this." Well, he was old. He might have had Alzheimer's. You never know. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> well, you know, when you read some websites about, you know, perfect lineup construction and all and all that kind of stuff on fan graphs or on you know, baseball prospectus or what have you, um, they actually say your best uh, idea is to put your best hitter in the two spot and then your best like power hitter in the three spot. Like that's like according to when they did like when Braun and Fielder were still on the team and they did like a perfect lineup thing for the Brewers, it always had Braun second, Fielder third. I don't remember who was fourth, maybe hard or something. I don't know, but they're saying second because that guy's all you know. All he's gets more at bats and he's your best hitter. And they made a whole bunch of um, you know uh, clear, uh, reasons for doing it. So I think that's what Cano's trying right now with uh, or with uh, the Yankees are trying with Cano. He's batting second. Yeah, uh, he was earlier in the season. I'm not sure if he still is. Honestly, I mean, I'm sure none of us follow AL as closely as we do AL, but uh, I remember he was batting second earlier in the year. Yeah, and obviously he's their best hitter, and he's kind of similar to Braun, you know, a guy with power, but also hits for high average, hits the ball all over the all over the yard. So, um, yeah, I mean, as long as Betancourt keeps batting eighth, I guess the rest of the lineup's fine with me. <laughs> and he's doing a hell of a job down there. I mean, I really, I know we all have ripped the the signing but when you think about it he's just filling in for now 
when the guys come back healthy, he's pretty much just going to pinch hit and probably get a start here or there at third and first. I, I honestly don't see him ever playing short for this team, which is really the best news of all because mm-hmm. with Segura and Gonzalez, there's just there's no reason to put Betancourt at short. So Real quick, I think the Yankees must have given up on batting Cano second because tonight as they take on the Diamondbacks, he's batting third again. Yeah. Um, I... Actually, in one of the more embarrassing live moments of my of attending baseball games for me, yesterday, I, before Uni's first at bat, I was booing him jokingly. Like, I was making it clear that I was, it was purely in jest. A mock boo? Yeah, and I was like, you don't deserve to play! You're baseball's clown! Go home! Then he hits a home run. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> maybe it's just the negative reinfor- like negative treatment he gets he needs to be treated like knocked down a peg in order to succeed Treat so maybe like that's why he came back to milwaukee <laughs> it's a small sample but he the little the, the bit when i've seen him he does look a little more selective at the plate and he's not swinging at the first pitch as much as he used to and just popping it up right away so i don't know if he did do something a little differently but uh whatever he's doing it's working and uh as long as he can keep this up for another couple of weeks until ramirez gets back um fine with it because then he'll just come off the bench and that's kind of where we want him to be so all right let's take our first break of episode 62 and when we come back we'll talk about a couple of moves the brewers made uh, the last couple days uh a, a send down a call up and a minor league signing it's episode two of the vfbc brewers podcast the View from Bernie's Chalet podcast with Jason, Alex, and Brad. Download us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Jay Donlinger, at Brew Crew Blue, and at Brew Crew B. The View from Bernie's Chalet podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers baseball club. Go Brewers! Episode 62, View from Bernie Shelley podcast, J.D., Alex, and Brad. A couple of moves the Brewers made the last couple of days. First, we'll talk about the more exciting one, and that was uh, today. It was um, announced that Mike Fires was going to be optioned down to AAA. Uh, he had been off to a very uh, rough start to the season, see if he can work things out down there. And the Brewers had to call up a starter to make a start on Saturday night for their game against the Cubs. And they chose Hiram Burgos, who was the Brewers minor league pitcher of the year last season, pitched very well for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic this spring. was off to a good start again at AAA Nashville, and now he will get a chance to make his first start in the big leagues against the Cubs Saturday night. Um, what do you guys think about the move? I know when it was announced that they had, had not had a starter for Saturday and that most likely fires would be optioned down and they would uh, call someone else up to make that start. I was hoping it was Burgos. Glad to see it. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, I kind of would like to see Thornburg up a little bit more, but Burgos is the hot hand. So, I'm, I mean, I'm in no way disappointed, especially with his showing against major league talent and a very competitive field in the World Baseball Classic. I mean, the guy had a 1-0 record, a 6-9 ERA, uh, in three games started, he went th- or in three games pitched, not started because he came in for more of a long relief session when people were kept low pitch counts. Uh, in 13 innings, I mean, he only gave up one run um, and only walked 
four and struck out 12 in that time period. So, I mean, in that sample size, he did great. Then his performance right now in Nashville is, uh, I mean, exceeding, uh, following those expectations, really. I mean, three games started, 2.7 ERA, 16 and two-thirds innings pitched, and 15 strikeouts, um, walking seven. So he can be a little bit wild. Um Probably no more than anyone else who's going to strike out around eight to ten in inning her per uh, game. So he um, he's an exciting prospect uh, at the age of 25. So he's probably starting to outlive the the phrase of prospect much longer. But with I mean with the, what Fires is doing, even him he, he's not giving any value out of the bullpen right now. He's not giving any value in the rotation right now. Uh, a move had to be made and of the moves I'm this is probably the one that makes me the happiest just because again I'd rather they go with the hot hand a guy who can come up and succeed than stick with Mike Fires who currently has an 8.59 ERA really had a lot of bad outings when in his uh, time in spring training and right now Thornburg is although I like him a little bit more as a prospect uh probably isn't just as hot a hand with the, his 5-4 ERA. Um, he does have some a very brief major league stint last year, but the 5-4 ERA in three games so far isn't going to earn him anything. And Borjos, I mean, I'm pretty sure Borjos was going to go this Saturday anyways. Burgos. Borgos. Burgos. Yeah, he he was, I believe he was the scheduled starter for yeah. Nashville. I uh, I like, for pronunciations, I love to go with the proper one, the, the one that I believed all along anyways. So I'm sorry when I revert back to that. I think I did that with Fires last year because I kept wanting to go Fears. Yeah, I think a lot of people had that confusion with him <laughs> and, as well as Burgos or Burgos. And then the only reason I knew it was Hiram and not like Hiram or something was uh, Gord Ash said it on the broadcast last night. So Oh, I do remember that. Wait, no, I don't. I wasn't there. I wasn't watching that. I was at the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember that uh, Gordash was on earlier this year and said that too. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, he he's a, an exciting prospect. So why not give him the chance? Yeah, and I was kind of inclined to uh, agree with you, Brad, about uh, Thornburg maybe being called up. Um, seeing he already had the major league experience and everything, <clears throat> he was kind of like the option to go to. But you know, Burgos has obviously shown last year. Um, how how well he can do um especially over an extended period of time i mean he put in a lot of innings that year and i mean his highest era was in triple a at 2.9 so and he was all the way down to a 0.87 when he was in a plus ball so i mean he he's he's shown that he's got the the stuff to be able to make it he's got you know his high high strikeout rate um he's got everything we're looking for for a guy to come up and start at least one game so um, I, I like the call up altogether. Fears are just doing so awful. And I mean, he went so sideways so quick that, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to be that bad, like regression wise. Uh, I knew he was going to regress from last year and that was probably wasn't going to happen again. But I mean, just <laughs> as bad as he has been this year, I mean, I just didn't see it coming. Um, and I guess that's with a lot of things this year we all didn't see coming when we came into it. And, you know, this is just another wrinkle in 2013 that we weren't expecting but i mean if he can come up and give us a start i mean that's more power to him i think he's got the stuff to do it and i think he's uh shown that he deserves to get the call up in this spot yeah with fires it's kind of you know he relies so heavily on deception with his deceptive delivery and i don't know if 
you know, teams now had seen him enough, you know, one time through last year and watching video and stuff, if they picked up a way to see his release point um, more easily. And that's why he was getting shelled so bad. But, I mean, he's got to figure out a way to keep that deception going. And, you know, when you throw your fastball as low as he does velocity-wise, you know, barely touching 90, you better hit your spots and you better be deceptive. And, I mean, it's kind of like Josh Colmenter from Arizona. You know, they they were compared so similarly. And same thing with him. You know, he was really good th- that season, and now he's, like, in the bullpen as a reliever. And, I don't, you know, teams just figure him out. I mean, the Brewers never figured Colmenter out, but <laughs> they could never hit that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Burgos, it's not like he's got great stuff. I mean, you know, he, he obviously he doesn't have the big fastball either, but he uh, spots it very well and his off speed and breaking stuff's pretty good too. And he doesn't walk guys. And, you know, Kyle Loesch has shown early this season. And of course the last two years in St. Louis that you don't need a big fastball as long as you can put it on the corners and down and you don't walk guys, you can have success. So hopefully Burgos um, has a little bit of the Kyle Loesch treatment. The other move the Brewers made, um, they went out and signed Francisco Rodriguez. Yes, K-Rod is coming back, but uh, not coming right back to Milwaukee. He signed a minor league deal, and in the deal, um, they have 30 – it's like a 30-day out clause. The Brewers have 30 days to assign him to the big league roster, and if they do not – then he can become a free agent again. And if he would uh, make the Brewers roster and be put on the 25-man, uh, he could earn as much as $2 million with incentives and whatnot. So um, it's a pretty low-risk move. So I, I, when I heard about it yesterday, I tweeted out, like, mm, whatever, low-risk. I don't you know. I just I don't care. Like, either he's going to report anything to Arizona to just kind of work out for – you know, I don't know if it's their scouts or he's gonna pitch in some like uh, extended spring training games or what. But... I heard he has to be in Arizona because he's waiting for his work visa. Actually. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. So okay. then he'll go up to Nashville. Okay, so he does that, and then you know if he can get guys out at Nashville and his stuff looks good, and the bullpen is struggling still, maybe he'll get called up, and then maybe he's got something left if he doesn't it's really not going to cost him anything so it's it's not a bad move really i mean it's not a great move it's just kind of a whatever we'll see what happens kind of move and right now the bullpen is you know it's only been a few games but they've looked better they're starting to figure out their roles and renicky's figuring out where to pitch guys and i mean michael gonzalez even had a scoreless inning today that's a big step forward for him so uh you know the k-rod moves whatever what do you guys think? Uh, they're tr- clearly trying to just recreate the 2011 team. Like, soon they're going to trade for Zach Renicky and just eat a salary. And... Wait, wait. Will <laughs> Renicky get his uh, son back, Marcotte, though? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Of course. That's the key piece of 2011. Integral. You know, you, they already had uni, and then they're like, might as well keep it going with adding K-Rod. And, uh, no, I mean, it's... What do you have to lose? Like you said, Jason. I mean, this is a guy who closed out uh, almost 200 games between 2005 and 2008. Doesn't hurt to have another add a, another guy with closer experience in place. Something happened to Henderson now, and Axford still wasn't ready to go. Um, Axford, another good case, and a guy who had a clean inning today. Um, 
you just when there's nothing to lose, you might as well do it. And there, I mean, you're working with a guy who could be go back to what he was a few years ago, or even when the Brewers traded for him in 2011. Uh, the guy who came in and pitched 29 innings and gave up six earned runs, or you could get the guy from last year and never use him. It doesn't hurt to have another guy with experience. Um, I still think the Brewers had enough options uh, to kind of play with in the minor leagues, but, I mean, you're looking for someone with big league experience, someone with especially big game experience. K-Rod was out there. Why not go with him? And it... I mean, like you said, it hurts nothing. And if he if he can come up and do something for the team, you might as well. Um, hopefully, he just doesn't hit any more women while he's in Wisconsin. Wait, wasn't he acquitted of that? Now, come on. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> it's the second report of hitting people. Yeah. He just stopped hitting people. <laughs> he has a temper, it seems. Yeah, I mean, no reason to hit people. Which and if you do weird. Hit, hit him with oranges, no proof. It's don't weird, proof. too, that he has this temper because when you see him on the mound or in the bullpen or in, you know, press conference and stuff, he seems like such kind of like a quiet, mild-mannered type guy. I mean, yeah, granted, no he energy. goes a little nuts when he gets a big strikeout, but I mean, it's... Oh, I thought yeah. we were talking about her. Never I thought really we were ignoring that. He, yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, it's if he can rejuvenate his career, he's a potential Hall of Fame closer. I mean, really, last year was his only really spotty year. Uh, he did kind of have an off year in his first year with the Mets, but he still finished 66 games. He just didn't have the best ERA. Other than that, he's had been really solid his entire career. So um, there's absolutely nothing to lose. And he had the money lying around. Might as well use it, right? It was well, just it was just awesome in 2011. The the awesomeness of the K-Rod to Axford combo in the eighth and ninth. It's like every time they had a lead going into the eighth, you just felt like you just, you had no doubt in your mind that they were going to win the game because those guys were so good that year. And then last year, the wheels just fell off. And then, you know, K-Rod wasn't, you know, he didn't even find a job until just now on the Brewers sign of a minor league deal. It's just crazy how fast a guy can lose it, you know? Yeah, um, but I mean that's kind of the thing with bullpen pitchers is they, mm-hmm. as fast as they can come out of the scene, they can also fade out just as quickly. Um, starting pitchers are normally more of a decline, and bullpen pitchers can just their flashes. That's a, that's a cliff. Bullpens are cliffs. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's like it's it's just it's one of those positions or whatever that just. Man, it's there's the the shelf life is so small, except if you're Mariano Rivera. Oh, so there are <laughs> many Riveras out there. So that's I mean <clears throat> the exception to the rule. But yeah, that's why I always cringe no. when I hear big like contracts for relief pitchers. It's like yeah, don't yeah. <laughs> the guys over the years that have been like Mariano Rivera are other guys that are in the Hall of Fame, and there's very few of them. So yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. There's a reason. There's like six bullpen pitchers in the hall of fame i mean there's no no consistency there and even when you can be good and really really good it's 
I mean, it's not going to last. And some yeah. people can bring it back, but by that time, you already ruined your reputation so much. Like uh, Francisco Cordero, he was a great closer for Texas, ruined it, came back, rejuvenated his career, and now he's gone again. But, I don't know, maybe he can do something like Coco did, where he comes back and rejuvenates his career. Um, I mean, if he can find the fountain of youth, great. <laughs> I just, I hope, I just feel like if K-Rod does get called up, we're in a bad spot with our bullpen. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if our bullpen's going strong and these guys are, are starting to, you know, perform better in their roles uh, and Renneke's managing the bullpen properly, there should be no need for K-Rod unless there's injuries. That's a different story. But if uh, there are no injuries, um, hopefully it can continue the way it is because it's starting to look a lot better. We will take our another break on episode 62, and when we come back, we will have our guest interview, first one of the 2013 season. It's going to be Adam Rigg from Brewer Nation. It's episode 62 of the VFBC podcast. View from Bernie's Chalet. We're not just a podcast, we're a website. If you like insightful articles written by real fans just like you, come visit us at viewfrombernieschalet.blogspot.com. There you create articles on the latest Brewers news, find our podcast stream, and email us, Jason, Alex, and Brad. The View from Bernie's Chalet, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. And we're back on the podcast, episode 62. And right now, for the first time in 2013, it is our honor and privilege to bring in a guest for an interview. And uh, couldn't ask for a better first interview of the season. Uh, you can read all his work at the number one Brewers uh, fan blog on the MLB blog network. Um, it is brewernation.mlblogs.com. And, uh, of course, keep up with uh, his constant tweets and information and analysis at Brewer Nation. It is Adam Rigg. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you doing tonight? Guys, I am very well. The team has finally put a little together a little bit of a winning streak. So the you know the the trolls are a little, a little bit quieter on social media. So it makes makes for a little bit better experience, you know, day in and day out here. You know, it really does. It's you know what a difference a week makes. Here we were late in the day Sunday. It looked like the Brewers are going to drop the uh, another one and, and lose the whole series to St. Louis, get swept, and instead Braun and Lucroy hit home runs. They win that game, and now they sweep the defending world champions. Uh, obviously, a good four-game winning streak. Uh, what do you have any takeaways or any just uh, thoughts on these uh, last four games, specifically the Giants series? Well, you know, the first thing is that. It is a pleasure to see the team performing well enough to win despite Ryan Braun being cover your eyes awful right now. Um, I think what going into today's game, it was one for his last 18, and the one was that home run in St. Louis. Uh, 11 strikeouts you know, coming into today. Um, it, it's been rough for him at the plate. And you see finally Carlos Gomez starting to take the ball the other way and get hot at the plate. You know, he had three hits in consecutive games. Uh, very, very strong showing for him finally. Finally starting to show a little bit of the form that he had in spring training. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy, before the game in the Sunday game in St. Louis, he said, I identified a mechanical flaw in my swing. I think it's a start being better for me. He had a very good game on that Sunday, and it's carried through for the whole Giants series for him. You know, everything's starting to click a little bit on at, at the plate. Even Ryan Braun, 
he walked three times, you know, in yesterday's game, uh, Wednesday's game, and he's been a, he's been very very good uh, as a as a, I don't I don't want to say this he's been good as a complimentary piece, which is weird, you know, it normally is the focal point of the offense, but he's gotten a couple of things done today. It was hopefully a breakout game for him. But everybody up and down the lineup, even Ricky Weeks is getting into the act a little bit. You know, key hits in key situations. Yuneski Betancourt, do we even have to say? I mean, the guy's been dynamite lately, uh, as, as weird as that sounds. So everything's starting to click at the plate, and the pitching staff is finally showing the form that a lot of us thought that they could produce, you know, overstretches this season, be it, you know, Kyle Loesch pitching very well like people thought that he would, Giovanni Gallardo had a great start in his most recent outing today against the Giants. Um, Willie Peralta, a little bit wild last time in the game that the Brewers won 10-8, to but, you know, he's still he's still finding his form. He is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a rookie. Um, you know, not a whole lot of big league experience, so he's still learning as it goes. You know, this team is starting to get the job done on both sides of the dish. The, the defense has been pretty good. You saw some spectacular plays uh, in this Giants series, so um even michael gonzalez is starting to get people out and you know when that happens you know it seems like we're uh we're due for a little bit of a run here and you know the, the four games have shown that yes this team is capable of putting some good baseball together and you know people saying that we're gonna lose 100 games well i hope they get to eat their words yeah absolutely and um i mean the thing that i was mentioning uh, earlier on her in the her off the scenes actually to Alex and Jason was I think one of the things that's really helping is unlike last year the leashes seem to be a lot shorter for people in key roles it seems the the more like as much as I'd like to see John Axford in the closers role he was clearly hurting that team since he couldn't get people out and he was taken out and put in for Jim Henderson and I think uh, they're doing that now when they take Mike Fires out of the starting rotation and out, out of the bullpen altogether. He's going down to AAA and bring up Haram Burgos. So I think that's really helping the team have a get off the slow start because they're putting in the players' injuries, barring from the people who are forced to be playing and putting in the players who are having the most success. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, most of the, most of the stuff that they've tried uh, has been, as you said, due to a necessity. But you know, moving Segura up to the two hole when he was tearing the cover off the ball in the seventh and mostly the eighth spot in the lineup, uh, that's worked out well. Segura stayed hot. Um, weeks, you know, weeks of cleanup is, is one of those things that they're sticking with longer than a lot of people would like. Uh, you know, as far as the as far as the observers go. But again, he is one of the guys like Ron Ronick, he said. As much as lineup protection is a myth, and it, you know you can't support it through sabermetrics, um, guys still there's still a mental aspect to this game which isn't reflected in stats. And you know some pitchers see Ricky Weeks at least as somewhat of a threat. If you miss, he will make you pay. You know more often than not, and that's something that that Bron is is able to benefit from. But yeah, you know moving guys out and bringing guys in, uh, moving guys around the diamond, starting different people. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw coming up very soon. Um, Betancourt uh, starting a game at third and either Lolly or Maldonado, depending on which handed pitcher is starting for the other team, getting a start at first base to give Alex Gonzalez a, another breather. He's been, he's been pretty rough, you know, the last couple of days, but the last couple of games that he's played, I should say, cause he had uh, some time off cause of that injury. But um, yeah, especially with the pitching staff though, they're making those moves early. 
uh, moving fires down, taking him out of the rotation, skipping his starts when they were able to because of how rough he did look to start the year. Um, they're not just sitting back and resting. I think they realize that if they can tread water until they get healthy, this team has a chance to do something. Um, but you don't tread water costing yourself games when you have the chance to make some moves to fix things in the short term. Now, speaking of fires, he obviously, as we went over, was sent down to uh, Nashville, and they uh, had purchased the contract of Hiram Burgos. He's going to start Saturday. What are your thoughts on Hiram and what he brings to the rotation? Is this just going to be for Saturday, or if he has a good start, do you see him possibly staying in that fifth spot in the rotation? What do you think they're going to do there? Well, just because I'm that way, first thing I have to say is – Based on the, the way that they don't, didn't technically purchase his contract because he was already on the 40 minute roster. So oh, yeah, that's the, right. That's right. Just for, just for the sake of semantics. Him. Yeah, they were called. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, and I try, I try not to be that guy on, on social media anymore. No, I'd rather know. be corrected. Uh, I, I definitely screwed up. Jason there. hates doing this. This is what you do to me. You do to me, heard this to me all the time on social media because I go out of my way to be the Jag. And then you're like, no, Brad, you're not allowed to be the Jag. I need to call you out. And I actually appreciate it because someone has to put me in line sometimes. Yeah, and, and we and all the, appreciate the, it. All right. <laughs> You, you guys are in the minority there. <laughs> One thing I try to do still is, is make sure people get people's names spelled correctly. You know, and uh, that's just a sign of, you know, human decency. Aside from the fact that when I say my last name, most people don't know how to spell it right away. And that's, you know, been an annoyance in my whole life. But um, maybe that's just something that, that I cling to. But sorry, we got we got kind of sidetracked there. Uh, <laughs> no worries. What, and refresh my memory. What was the original question? Uh, Burgos. Oh, oh, yeah. Do, do, do I think he's going to stick around, right? Um, well, th- here's the thing. The timing of it, and, and I'm about to, to post a blog here t- tonight, uh, and I'll call this out there too, but the timing of it was interesting because originally the beat writers said, don't expect to move until after Friday's game. And I thought, okay, well, that makes sense because the starter's coming up for Saturday. He'll probably be in town anyway, and just the, the move will be made official on Saturday. And then I thought when, the, when they announced the move tonight, that hit me because if they didn't make the move until Saturday, fires couldn't come back up for the next time they need a fifth starter, which is not until April 30th. So by making the move now, it not only gives fires two starts down in Nashville for sure, like it would have anyway, but it gives him the opportunity that if he does pitch well, he could come back up to make that next fifth starter start, like I said, on the 30th. Now, if Burgos does well, I I don't think they want to stunt him or affect him in any way by having him pitch out of the bullpen. I know that in the World Baseball Classic, that's what he did. He started, you know, he came out of the bullpen every game that he pitched uh, behind their lead starter uh, for Team Puerto Rico. So uh, apparently he's capable of doing that very well. He pitched extremely well in the tournament. But I still, that was still in long stints. They expected him to go four or five innings, you know, depending on when he entered the game. So I think they really want him to remain as a starter. So regardless of how he does, like I said, the next time they need that starter isn't for 10 more days um, or on the 11th day, really. So my guess, if I had to guess, he goes back down after his start. They bring up a reliever to fill, you know, the next – I don't remember if we have a day off. We have, must have a day off in there someplace. So the next eight games, I guess it would be, until that fifth starter spot is needed again. Then they make another decision. Who that is that's going to come back up, I guess I don't know. Fighters obviously can't come up. Um, as far as options on the 40-man roster, 
and I don't have that in front of me, and I haven't thought about it um, until I was writing that blog. I was actually going to go research that stuff uh, before we got on the horn here. Um, but I would I, I would expect them to bring up some relief pitcher uh, to fill that extra spot. Okay. Um, looking at like uh, the bench when Ramirez comes back, obviously he'll move back into the third base spot, back cleanup, which will you know solve a lot of problems. Betancourt's been you know playing first and doing a good job there. Uh, Gonzalez had been playing third. What do you, what move do you think they'll make when Ramirez comes back? Probably Blake Lolly going back down, I would assume. Um, and that's a couple weeks away know, yet, but yeah, they said they're not going to rush him back, so they've got some time to decide. But uh, my my gut instinct is that they're going to send Josh Prince down first, regardless of who it is that comes back first. If that's Jeff Bianchi who gets in before Ramirez does. Or if that's Ramirez himself, I think uh, I think Josh Prince is probably the guy who goes down first, um, despite him being their best pinch running option at this point outside of Logan Schaefer, uh, and and Prince being able to handle both the outfield and the left side of the infield, um, so he's got that versatility thing working for him. My guess is that they they send Prince down. The only other option uh, I think for when the second guy comes back. Um, because I, by the time Ramirez gets back, barring a setback, Bianchi should be here too. Um, so I think that Chris Davis is, is another candidate to go down just so that he can get some regular at-bats. I mean, Logan Schaefer has proven that he's more than capable of handling all three outfield spots defensively. Um, you know, defense is one of his hallmarks. But the, the fact that he that Schaefer's got the left-handed bat, especially if they keep Prince up here and send, uh, and send Davis down first, um, you know, that, that – it's a way that they could cover themselves, have that versatility guy to cover the outfield in a pinch, to cover some of the infield in a pinch. So maybe they'd send down, uh, maybe they'd send down Davis first. But either way, I think that um, it's pretty obvious that Prince is going to be one of the first guys out. And then when the second guy comes back, um, you know, it really, it really could be Davis at that point to to go down uh, and get himself some at bats and you know, start swinging the bat a little bit. He's he's a guy that, as we all know, doesn't really have a defensive home. Chris Davis doesn't, so uh, at least not on this team, thanks to Ryan Braun. So either go down there, get your bat hot when they need him for interleague play, uh, for example, or, you know, something like that, or, you know, go work it out and, and hopefully put on a show and then come the trading deadline. If this team is in it, he could be a piece that gets moved to bring something back to help us make that uh, make that playoff push. I think he made it abundantly clear there's no way he could play right field based on his arm after a couple of the throws we've seen him make from left field when he was subbing for Braun when he was out with the neck injury because, wow, that uh, that was not the best <laughs> arm I've ever seen. Yeah, I was saying he's probably better off at times actually handing it to Carlos Gomez and letting Gomez throw it in after he collects it because it takes forever for him to get that ball in. I like how the, the broadcasters try to play it off like he was hitting the cutoff man on one of his throws when he clearly was trying to get it all the way home, but it was just so bad that it got cut off, and then they ended up getting the guy at home. But, yeah. Um, obviously, yesterday the Brewers, you know, the big thing on Twitter was uh, K-Rod being brought back on a minor league deal. What are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, it just seems pretty low risk, so why the heck not? But um, what do you think about it overall? From a baseball standpoint, like you said, it's low risk. Uh, he makes $2 million something if he makes the big league club. They, one of those 30-day-out things to, to figure out where they're going to sign him. I don't know if – because it wasn't reported, but I don't know if 
if he's not with the Brewers in 30 days, if he can opt out. I don't know if that was part of it or not, but it sounds like the Brewers have 30 days to decide where to assign him as he ramps up uh, down in extended spring training. But, you know, K-Rod's a guy that's shown he's capable of getting it done on the field. Uh, in 2011, after he came over from the Mets, he was fantastic. There's no way to put it. Um, it, it took a lot of decisions out of Ron Renneke's hands that year when it was get me to the eighth inning with a lead and the ball game's basically over. Um, last year, like with everybody else in the bullpen, K-Rod sucked. <laughs> he sucked <laughs> out loud for, for, for yeah. most of the season. So, you know, he's K-Rod is, is apparently comfortable with the Brewers and with the Brewers organization. Scott Boris is comfortable with his guys pitching for the Brewers organization. Um, apparently not playing first base for the Brewers, but that's besides the point. Um, but, you know, if K-Rod's here and he can help the team win, so be it. Uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, I think he's kind of a kind of a piece of dirt in some ways, but um, that's neither here nor there. Those charges were dropped, you know, for for whatever. But, um, you know, on the baseball field, if he can help and he's not going to cost a whole lot of money, you know, so be it. Uh, getting to a little bit of the personal matter, and probably one of the few times the Brewers make the news during the season. Uh, of course, Giovanni Gardo earlier in the week arrested for his DUI, but of course getting to pitch and play in, the, in today's game because there's no policy in the MLB and there's no prior history of a team suspending someone for that. Now, do you think that the... I mean, there has been a lot of outlash after the Giovanni Gallardo one, more than I've actually heard from a lot of players in recent years getting arrested for DUIs. Do you think that's going to force the MLB at some point to make a play and finally suspend people for this type of negligence? Well, it's something that they should definitely bring to the next collective bargaining. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be on the table It's you know at some point. If you, I forget which writer it was that worded it this way, but if you can get 50 games for, you know, abusing a drug of recreation in your apartment, shouldn't you be able to die for driving drunk down the freeway and putting himself and everybody else on the road in grave danger? I mean, shouldn't that be part of, of what the league has a little bit of control over? Um, from, from an execution standpoint of that idea, it remains to be seen. The players' union is very powerful. It would take a grassroots movement from within to get anything to change on that front. I mean, the, the reason that they, the performance-enhancing drug testing in place that they do have is because enough of their membership was like, all right, we're sick of this. Let's get some testing in place so we can try to clean up the game, you know, quote-unquote, clean up the game. Um, so enough guys would have to want this to be something that, their membership would have, you know, would support them. Now, having said all that, do I think it's time for it? It's, it's one of those touchy subject, gray area things. From a, from a morality standpoint, absolutely. The, you know, guys need to take it seriously. Uh, people here in the state of Wisconsin trivialize it far too much. Uh, I mean, after I posted the Brewers one today, uh, you know, the first comment on my Facebook wall. Uh, uh, facebook.com slash brewer nation which you can follow um (laughs) the first post out there was all right everybody load up on the cuervo in the locker room it's like come on guys let's not make a joke out of something that's actually a serious subject you know you want to you want to complain and piss and moan that gallardo you know should be suspended or he wasn't suspended or 
you know, Major League Baseball sucks for not having something in place. All those arguments make sense, but to to already joke about the fact that, well, okay, everybody's happy, so let's do tequila shots. I mean, yeah, to me that's that's ridiculous. So you know, to to actually to actually impose something to get to back to the heart of the question, to actually impose something and get something in place to reprimand these players and to penalize these guys, it would take hard work and and something. You know, a lot of dedication on the lawyers' parts to get something in place, and I, I don't know. I don't see the guys in Major League Baseball locker rooms worrying that much about it. You know, drinking alcohol, if you're 21, like Bryce Harper, yeah, the, there would be a problem there. But if you're mm-hmm. 21 years old, you're allowed to legally drink alcohol. It's already banned in clubhouses, and other than celebration, celebratory champagne that you spray around each other. But otherwise, drinking is banned in the locker rooms because of all the issues that the league was having with uh, OWIs and DUIs and whatever. So, you know, they can't take it a whole lot farther than that on an individual level at this point. So should they? Like I said, they should definitely talk about it. And, you know, I trust the baseball minds to make a decision that's good for baseball. Um, But good for baseball and good for the general population we know that those are two different things. Should they coincide in this case? Maybe, but that remains to be seen. Well, it's like when you hear that, you know, every major league baseball player and every football player and every NHL, you know, they all have these programs in place for the players with this card they get to put in their wallet where they can call for a ride at any time, anywhere, any place. And I'm sure some of, some of them take advantage and you don't hear about it because obviously they took advantage of it. So they're not drinking and driving and they're not getting pulled over like Gyro did, but obviously he didn't take advantage of it, and had he, this wouldn't have happened. So you wonder why didn't he take advantage of it? Did he think he was okay? I mean, at point two two, you think you'd kind of know that you're probably not in the best shape to drive, right? <laughs> well, well that, that's the other side of the coin. At point two two, are you aware enough of what's going on to to make that determination? <laughs> Are you are you are you conscious enough to pull out the card from your wallet and right. call the number that you've got to to get home safe? I mean, at that point, you're not. Uh, how can you even be aware of the decision that you are making at that point? That's yeah, true. and that's kind of my theory too. I mean, I I've been in the lapse of judgment, but it has certainly been in a place where other people have been around to protect me. And to me, it would probably come down to the well. At point two two, you're probably at one of the worst decision making moments. And and this is getting to speculation. So, um, but right. you're at one of the most poor decision-making moments in the face of being drunk. I mean, you're uh, after that, you're getting into the realm of being dangerously drunk. And it probably got to a point of, well, do I move my F-150 I paid so much for, leave it and let it get ticketed or towed, or do I call a taxi service? And he did, uh, clearly needs a support system around him to help him make that decision. And probably didn't have a support system in place to help him make the right decision in that outcome. Right. And I mean, I don't think Gallardo is a bad guy and I, I surely don't think this will ever happen again. I think he knows that this was really bad and it looks bad on him, looks bad on the organization. And as a, you know, I, you know, he's a married guy with a couple of kids. I'm sure he's quite ashamed of it and I don't think he'll let it happen again. So. Well, that's, that's one thing I commented on um, in a different uh, forum, but with Giovanni Gallardo stating publicly, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this never happens again. Well, you want to make sure you never drink and drive again, then you stop drinking. <laughs> That's the simplest way to make sure that you don't drink and drive anymore is you right. don't drink. You, you have to drive to get where you're going. Um, 
you know, so, so stop drinking. That's a decision that you've got to make at some point. I mean, he's 27 years old. Um, I don't think he turned 28 yet, but either way, you know, he's at that point in his life where, you know, what's more important, having a few drinks or making sure you're safe, making sure your reputation gets rehabbed, making sure you don't leave your child fatherless, make sure you don't leave somebody else's child parentless. Right. You know, your actions. So, um, staying with off the field stuff here for a moment, wanted to ask you, uh, John Axford, he's had a couple good outings in a row here, and hopefully that'll uh, get him going back to the pitcher that uh, he was at the end of last season, and more specifically 2010 and 2011. Um, after a couple of those rough outings, uh, of course, the Twitter trolls came out and attacked Axford, and he went to Twitter like he has in the past and retweets what these people are saying about him and kind of pokes jokes at them and makes fun of them. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts on when you see Axford doing something like that, what do you think about it? Like, do you think it's wrong? Do you think it's funny? Do you think the team should step in and say, hey, John, let's let's not try to fuel the fire even more here? Um, well, the team's got a social media policy in place. And, you know, if they were if they had a problem against those guidelines, what Axford was doing, I'm sure they'd say something. So, you know, taking that out of the equation, personally, mm-hmm. when I when I see it come out, um, I'm glad that Axford has the mindset and the attitude that he's able to stick up for himself that way. Because if you, I'm sure you guys have at least once or twice, um, and to the listeners out there, if you're on Twitter, feel free to go back to the last time Axford blew up in a game and read his mentions. So you search tweets with at John Axford in it, and you will see some of the, some of the venom and the, just the, ridiculousness that he has to put up with in his mentions and yeah a yeah. lot of athletes they don't even look at their mentions you know they never respond to anybody they're not interactive on social media they just you know they, they use it as a bullhorn you know so you know and kind of put their ideas out there without actually talking to anybody and and that's fine if that's how people want to use it but Axford likes to interact um and i think that's great about it and if he's able to you know separate that kind of a thing compartmentalize it all and and deal with the haters that way then so be, I mean, some of the guys, uh, Logan Morrison, if you guys follow him on Twitter, he's hilarious. He, you know, people rip on him. People say, you know, why can't you hit better? You know, what'd you do to your knee that you know, you're you not on the field? And people come up with all sorts of different things to, to give him a hard time. And he fires back about the way that they look in their avatar, what something that there says, <laughs> something that it says on their profile. Uh, I mean, he makes fun. It's, it's tremendous <laughs> the way that these guys can interact um, to stick up for themselves that way. Uh, internet bullying is a, a very serious and real thing, uh, and these guys are adults. I mean, it's not like they're immune from it, but they're in a little bit of a different realm than the typical uh, the typical bullying situation. But um, it calls people out. And yes, Twitter is mostly anonymous. Um, if you do something wrong enough, there's ways to track you down and, and figure out who you are, and you can pay a penalty for it. Um, Twitter's not consequence free that way, but it calls people out in that way. And I think it's good for people to, to face a little bit of that embarrassment to, you know, is, is there any reason? And I'll ask you guys, is there any reason to, to tweet to John Axford how much he sucks or to, to tweet to Buster only? Why do you hate my team so much? Cause he always retweet to those. Why no, do you hate my team I, so much? And I mean, there's no reason for it. No, I've never done it. I mean, I, if I, I, when I talk about Axford, it's on this podcast or it's in a blog or whatever. I mean, but I don't ever say he sucks. He, you know, like I just, I wouldn't go to him and be like, 
you know, say you read the things that people say to him. It's just like, who says that to someone? Yeah, you know, and it's so bad. When you include like bigotry and things that, yeah. I mean, go out. Not only are you going out of your way to insult John Axford, but when you lo- use phrases that are just inherently bad, like some of the things that he gets called, not only are you bringing up a, a showing yourself as a poor in a poor image as to go out of your way to tell someone they suck when i mean really i mean it's not like he doesn't know he's having problems it's not like he's not disappointed in his performance it's not like he wants to go out there and perform badly but then you're also getting into a another form of bullying by using a word that really we should stop using and and that's taken case many times for many different players for i mean um even when Kyle Loesch got hers was signed, I saw a lot of people reacting and, you know, tweeting to Albert Pujols being like, this is a remember her, uh, a reminds me of when that inflammatory, her like racial inflammatory phrase got traded. Then they take Albert Pujols in it. And he did nothing wrong. They're going out of their way <laughs> to just be bad people on Twitter. And right. I don't know. It's those type of people who make me think that maybe we should have a license to breed. <laughs> uh well there was there was i think it was a, an nfl writer uh maybe it was greg doyle from cbs somebody just the other day and i don't follow him but somebody re- retweeted it into my timeline but it said you know it, it would be great if there was a another internet for like seven percent of you <laughs> it's, the, it's it's the loudest most obnoxious seven percent you know it's the vocal minority you you get a lot of these people that thrive on negativity and thrive on controversy and thrive on making others feel bad so that they feel good and you know the, it's the whole idea of that of that part of the culture that you know what's the you know it's like it's like booing in the stadium a little bit you boo John Axford because you're you're frustrated at the performance we get it but then you're not going to go down into the locker room into the dugout and and look him in the face and say John Axford you're a dirty so and so and I hope you die. You know, right. it, it's not, you know, so why do it on Twitter? I, I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't mean, get it. When Axford blew up, I, you know, we had a segment on the podcast last week. I said, maybe they should option him down and see, we have him work it out. He's, you know, he's stinking right now. He's not pitching well, but I would never personally attack Axford or call him names, you know, or right. it's just, it's ridiculous. And it's one thing to like degrade his professional performance, like on an analysis, like saying he's pitching poorly or he straight out stinks right now. But it's another to attack him as a person, which is what a lot of it is coming up. And I agree with you, getting back to the original topic of John Axford responding, maybe it's not the best thing to do, but at least he's shining a light on these people who are going out of their way to be bad people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's other ways to handle it for sure, but the the fact that, you know, he's that's the way he, like I said, he deals with it or, or whatever word you want to throw on it. You know, that's the way he, he copes with some of the, the hate that he gets. And, you know, Axford's uh, has always been a great follow on Twitter, and he's good to interact with when he's in that type of a mindset. Um, you know, so it sucks that he has to deal with it, but, you know, he seems to deal with it in, in the way that he does, and it works for him. So yeah, That's always been my take. I, Axford's one of the – I don't follow every single Brewers player or, or a lot of athletes just because I think that a lot of stuff they say is – boring and just, I have no interest in it but Axford's one of those guys where he says funny interesting off the cuff things and that makes him a good athlete follow as far as I'm concerned so yeah I actually I actually follow all the minor leaguers that I can find on Twitter and I have lists and let me tell mm. you some of those guys they they're 19 years old and they tweet like they're 19 years old <laughs> I figured really, 
it's really taxing. Because that, that, the other thing I do on Twitter is that I will, you know, save the spot that I'm at in my timeline when I go to sleep and I'll catch up in the morning. I try to read every single tweet that hits my timeline. And I know that's insane, that uh, is. which is also which is also why my personal Twitter account, I miss so much because that one I don't do that on. Right. But, um, you know, so I, I try to catch up, catch up on everything. And then I see, you know, the subtweeting and the, the, the weird language that comes out and the, oh, my gosh, you front end. You know, it's like, why are you tweeting that stuff? Just go with that. <laughs> exactly. Um, Brad or Alex, do you have any other Brewers questions for Adam? I think we knocked Alex out. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm not knocked out. Alex, are you awake? <laughs> Put the tumbler down. It's Focus. a flask, all right? It's yeah, not it's... a tumbler. Oh, my bad. <laughs> um, well, then before we get out of here, Adam, I have to ask you a non-Brewers question. I know you, like me, are a fan of the pro wrestling. Did you watch WrestleMania 29, and what did you think of the show? Uh, absolutely. We have a we have a party every year. Um, we have more attendees than most of the pay-per-views that we watch uh, at my buddy's house in Milwaukee. But overall, I thought the show was pretty good. Um, some the, the, the problem with, with WrestleMania is that the, the company knows that everybody's going to buy it anyway. So some of the stuff is, is very, you know, formulaic and and lazy, you know, from a storyline perspective and whatnot. Absolutely. Um, yep. Very the, corporate the matches, this year. Yeah. Yeah, the, the matches themselves were, were pretty good. You know, they, they were well done. Um, some of the in-match in psychology was, was well thought out, you know, in my opinion. So, and they set themselves up well. Like, the next, the next pay-per-view already is coming together very well. A lot, of, a lot of intriguing things going on right now on TV and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, WrestleMania itself is a good event. Uh, it's fun to see the culmination of some feuds and some angles. But, um, you know, some of it's boring, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, if you want to see someone act like a 19-year-old on Twitter, watch JD attack The Rock. Jeez. Yeah, I will <laughs> say, you know, like, I do attack The Rock. He is the one guy and I, I know, on Twitter that I do attack, but I don't really personally attack him. I just make fun of his poor movies and the fact that he's a part-time WWE wrestler, and he shouldn't have ever had the title. Like, that's all I do. I don't personally attack him and, like, you know, attack his looks or his whatever you know i just say dude you're a movie star you're not a wrestler go away you're part-time or hollywood you know like <laughs> and i hate to do that because i hate i don't want to do stuff like that but he just drives me to do it so <laughs> he he yeah, goes out of the way jason you suck all right now i gotta attack you on twitter it's actually funny because <laughs> one of my friends who's a, who's a big fan of the rock said dude someday you know like find you and beat you down like Jay, Jay and silent Bob strike back style, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought WrestleMania was good. The punk taker match match of the year candidate that was outstanding. Um, and the rest of the show was pretty good too, but that was by far the highlight. So. Yeah, it was very, very, very good stuff. And, you know, for the upcoming thing, I don't think they need a, a triple H Brock Lesnar three, but no. you know, people, people are going to spend their money on something. So. Touche. Well, Adam, uh, we thank you for your time once again. We went quite long here, but uh, we, you know, talking to you, we just kind of get lost, and it's it's just fun to talk ball with you. So, uh, it, did we, did I miss anything with your plugs? Of course, the Twitter at BrewerNation, the uh, BrewerNation.mlblogs.com. Anything else where you can be read or heard? Uh, 
a couple of things actually. Well, the the easier to remember URL is just thebrewernation.com. You can type that in and it redirects you to the one that uh, you round off. So uh, that's an option as well. Um, and then I, I'm actually um, going to be starting a little bit of a of a relationship, I guess you could say, with the uh, the simulcast Big 1070, Big 920 radio stations mm. in Madison and Milwaukee. Right. Um, they've had me on, you know, once every other week or so for, for Brewers commentary, uh, you know, dating back to the end of last season. Um, but it, that relationship is about to take an, a step forward and it sounds like I'll be on more regularly. Um, they're going to start, you know, doing promos for my segments and, you know, it's, I, I'm going to be elevated to, uh, an official Brewers insider status for them. I'm going to work with them a, a little bit more closely. Um, and, and more, more exclusively, I guess is, is the way to put it. Um, and we'll see where that takes me. So that's sweet, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, congrats. And, and, that's uh, awesome. Can't wait to listen to to listen to all that stuff. That's very cool. Were you doing something with twelve fifty as well? I was. Uh, for the first time, uh, I was going to have a weekly segment on the uh, on the post game show. Yeah. Um, it's called Running the Bases with Big Rig, and it was going to be you know whatever I wanted, whatever topic I wanted for you know for ten to fifteen minutes uh, once a week, but when the uh, guys over at uh, the Big 920 mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, like I said, wanted to, to take our, our professional relationship to the next step, um, they wanted some exclusivity as, as part of the, the arrangement. They didn't want – they, they, they kind of want me branded as one of their guys, and they don't want one of their guys on somebody else's airwaves. Yeah, that so makes sense. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to, had to cut that relationship very short, and – I do. I, I respect the hell out of those guys at 1250. Most of them, and um, really, really like, especially Tim and and uh, when Sparky and when those guys do the, the baseball post game show. I've been listening right. to it since it debuted, and it's the one that I always tune to after games. So, you know, I'm gonna right. still I'm st- gonna still be listening, and depending on how things progress down the line, you know, maybe one day, uh, you know, there'd be a, an opportunity to work with those guys again. But you know, gotta try to. I got to try to look out for number one a little bit until somebody's paying me, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I hope you can still make time for us on our little podcast here. So, Well, yeah, man. I, I'm supposed to still have uh, Jason on my, my podcast if we ever record another one. At some exactly. Point. Well, and if you ever get on iTunes, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, like, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't mind having to, like, go on my computer and listen to your guys' podcast. But I'd much rather be able to like listen to it on my phone or iPod. It makes it so much easier. At work. Basically, he has unrealistic standards for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, shut you know, up, I'll, Brad. I'll, I'll be honest. The, the standard that I've got for for Jason, and I'll, I'll call him out on the podcast. There's been a couple of times where we've been at the ballpark at the same day, and we find and I hit him up on Twitter and say, "Hey, come find me and say hello. Let's meet." in person and he says okay and then it never happens and then i'm like dude where were you and he's like oh uh, i just stayed where i was, I was like, don't oh, feel right. bad because he's done that to me too and like i i mean we actually like i mean jason and i have a, a tenured friendship going from our gateway days and we'll be literally a level above each other i'll be like oh i'm at 230 you're at 128 let's meet and he's like, oh, I'm just so comfortable in the game that's going on. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. It's, it's true. I, I, I big time everyone when I go to games. I just don't want to leave my seat. I'm like stuck <laughs> in my ways and I big time everyone. And then afterwards, I'm like, man, it would have been really cool to actually go talk to them. But the game's over now. So <laughs> I, I've done that to you, too, a couple of times, Adam. But that's more my forgetfulness. 
yeah. than anything else. But I apologize. I'm not trying to Jason you. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's all right. No, I'll, I'll be there on Saturday. If you guys are, are going to the game, feel free to hit me up and, and come say hello. All I right. will not be there Saturday. I will be there Sunday. Will you be there Sunday? I may be there Sunday. Probably, Maybe. but it's, okay. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, probably, it's like it's like seventy thirty right now that I'm going. All right. Well, let's try to make that work on George Scott Bobblehead Day. Finally, an in-person meeting. That would work. All right. Fantastic. Once again, thank you, Adam, so much for joining us. Follow him at Brewer Nation. Go to the blog, and uh, really looking forward to your uh, uh, new venture on uh, AM 920. That's going to be great. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care. That's Adam of Brewer Nation, and when we come back, we will wrap things up on Episode 62 of the View from Bernie Shelley podcast. The View from Bernie Chalet with Jason, Alex, and Brad. We want to know what you think. Send us an email or contact us on Twitter at jdonlinger, at brewcrewblue, and at brewcrewb. The View from Bernie Chalet podcast. Fans talking to fans. Back on episode 62 of the podcast, when I once again give a big thanks to Adam Rigg, for joining us, being our first guest interview of the 2013 season, always brings good insight and good brewers knowledge. Uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He is a must. He's almost like a beat writer, but he's not an official beat writer because he's got all the information. It seems as fast as the beat writers do when they tweet stuff. So it's awesome. Um, time to preview the week ahead for the brewers. Uh, of course, they swept the Giants today. And uh, they have a three more games on this homestand before they hit the road. It's a uh, three-game series against the Cubs, and it starts Friday night at 7:10 Miller Park. Jeff Samarja going for the Cubs. He's one and two with a 2.75 ERA. Marco Estrada will go for the Brewers. He's one and zero with a 4.50 ERA. Uh, Saturday, a 6:10 start. Edwin Jackson going for the Cubs. He's 0 and two with a 6.06 ERA. And of course, as we talked about earlier, Hiram Burgos will make his major league uh, debut. He is 0-0, of course, with no ERA, as he has not started a game yet this league, this year at the big league level. Then they will wrap up the homestand and the series with the Cubs on Sunday. Matinee, 1-10 start. George Scott bobblehead day. Scott Feldman goes for the Cubs. He's 0-2 with a 6.00 ERA. And Willie Peralta will go for the Brewers. He's 0-1 with a 6.19 ERA would be huge to have him get a big bounce back start after um, just totally blowing away a chance for his first win of the season uh, with a big lead against the Giants his last time out. When the Brewers are going to hit the road, West Coast trip. They will uh, start in San Diego for a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series. All of those games are at 9-10 Central Time. And then they'll be off Thursday and then a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series with the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine, Dodgers Stadium. Uh, those games at 9-10, 8-10, and 3-10. Uh, the only pitching matchups we have so far, uh, Kyle Loesch going to go on Monday for the crew. He's 0-1 with a 2.70 ERA. Jason Marquis will go for the Padres. He's 1-1 with a 2.41 ERA. And uh, that's it for the preview. Alex, what do you have for around the NL Central? Well, the Cubs claim Julio Bourbon off waivers from Texas, and he is expected to be at Mirror Park during Friday's game. Bourbon is a speedy outfielder that hits for a high average. He got the squeeze put on him in Texas after Gentry was kept over him, 
and then he was again blocked from major league duties by Leonis Martin. Brabant carries with him a career average of 283 and the bat to hit over 300 consistently. He is little to no power threat at the plate, but he does give good at bats and is always a threat to steal. Brabant also has very good versatility, being able to cover all three outfield spots and defensive and solid defensive range to back it all up. Honestly, the Cubs grabbed a guy that may be able to actually help them on both sides of the ball. Given regular bats and playing time, you could see Bourbon steal 25-plus bags and be a solid piece to an offense lacking a spark. To make room for the 40-man roster, Alberto Gonzalez was designated for assignment. Reds rookie lefty Tony Sigriani got his first start in the majors. Getting matched up against Miami is not such a bad spot to start as any rookie, much less one touted so highly. Sigrani held the Marlins to just one run, a homer from Justin Ruggiano, and a fanned eight in his debut game. He was able to use his fastball very efficiently to confuse the Miami hitters. Out of 102 pitches, he threw 83 fastballs and topped out in the low 90s. After Ruggiano's home run, the Marlins had it all tied up in the fourth at 1-1, but the Reds once again rallied big for their starter, and when the dust cleared, Sigriani had won his first game, and the Reds took their second game in a week in which they scored 11 runs. Sigriani was upset that he didn't throw many strikes, but when you can make the bat miss the ball as much as he did, it really doesn't matter that much. Sigriani will be the Reds' replacement for Johnny Cueto until he returns from his stint on the DL. So the young lefty should get a good look at life in the majors. Pirates left fielder Starling Marte saw his hit streak smashed into the proverbial brick wall after striking out five times Thursday night. After the game, manager Clint Hurdle decided to give the offense's igniter Friday off to regroup after such a tough game. Hurdle was empathetic to Marte, saying he has been there, but Hurdle never had a 5K game himself. He is such a player's coach, he creates memories that relate to his own players. In other new Pirates news, uh, Charlie Morton is looking strong and on the mend after Tommy John surgery. Morton was able to hit speeds up to 97 miles an hour on his fastball and had his other pitches working well too, leading Hurdle to jump with joy like a wrinkled cheerleader. Morton was impressive nonetheless, throwing 33 of his 44 pitches for strikes. Encouraging news coming from a team ready to put a hot-headed Liriano up in the rotation a start before Morton. Both should be back around the middle of May. Cardinals skipper Mike Matheny made the decision Thursday to move John Jay's stinky 292 on base to the seventh spot and move their number two hitter, Matt Carpenter, to hit leadoff. For me, Carpenter has the skills over Jay to hit leadoff. He's a patient hitter who doesn't miss too many times. So far this season, Carpenter has a swinging strike percentage of 3.9 and a 90% contact rate, giving the Cardinals a constant ball and play option. He takes most pitches outside the zone and isn't easily fooled. Given that he is only moving up one spot in the order, so his production should not change too much, but I would think if he stays in that role, he could outperform Jay in most categories. But really, they are almost a wash for each other if Jay was not scuffling so bad at the moment. Matheny says Jay will be back in this spot, so the move will probably be a temporary one. But it seems like the right move right now. Back to you, Jason. Thanks, Alex. And we will wrap up episode 62, as we always do during the season, with... Our Shally Award winner for uh, the second week of the season, Brewer of the Week time. Brad, what do you have? Uh, I had to go with the only guy on the team who had a consistent performance over the last week. Uh, Everyone else, I mean, Carlos Gomez is hitting close to 500 over the last few weeks, but that's more of 
assisted from his uh, nine hits in three games, and he still didn't provide that much run production during that time period. Uh, there's actually one other guy I could do that I'm not going to do just because he's the clown of baseball. Uh, but I'll go with Kyle Loesch. I mean, aside from getting lost in St. Louis, uh, and this is more representative of a really bad road trip before a good homestand. Um, I mean, he did have, or he only gave up two in that game. He did have the five hitless innings before he gave up three. Uh, but he went 14 innings, which is probably the most between two starts any starter's gone so far this year. Uh, only hit a 3-2-1 ERA, and uh, opponents are hitting just 235 against him so far with a 93 whip, uh, eight strikeouts, one walk. So he's doing really well so far, um, and really probably the best spot in the Brewers rotation as of yet. Um but, I mean, the other pitchers are starting to come around, and the bullpens had uh, pretty good performances lately out of the people coming out of it. The only other guy I truly would have been comfortable going with but refused to go with is Uni Betancourt uh, <laughs> with his two home runs and his seven RBI, uh, mainly helped out by that grand slam. But uh, he also has had one hell of an offensive showing. But it's going to be Kyle Roche. All right, so Kyle Loesch, first time winning a Chalet Award for Brewer of the Week. And uh, hopefully he'll have another good outing against the Padres on Monday night. So That should be easy. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's, let's hope the Brewers can keep this winning streak going four in a row. Let's try to make it seven in a row and sweep the Cubs and then uh, head out to the West Coast with a chance to uh, up that even more. I mean, they're six and eight now, almost back to 500. Things are starting to feel good. And, and uh, I'm ready to move them out of the 20s in my power rankings. Ooh. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, let's let's start having them move up that list instead of continuing to move down the list. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, we'll be watching. We'll be back next week, probably another Wednesday or Thursday recording night. And uh, keeping this thing going, Brewers baseball, it's going to be fun all season regardless of records or stats but uh let's hope for more fun baseball and winning baseball um so for brad ford for alex wearsome for our guest adam rig i am jason donlinger our apologies to john axford we ran out of time you have been listening to the view from bernie chalet podcast go brewers Alex, you sound like you're talking through a 1982 Nintendo game. Really? Yeah.